Hello, and welcome to Dear Sister Podcast. I am creator and host, Teresa Kennedy, and I am so excited to be back with you all. Uh, we took a little hiatus, and uh, we're back, and we have a very special guest in the house with us today. And uh, But before I introduce her, let me tell you a little bit about Dear Sister Podcast for those who may be new and joining us for the very first time. So Dear Sister Podcast really targets women, professional women, any woman that's working and trying to make it happen day in, day out, sisters who believe in self-care, uh, women who are, are gatekeepers to other women, women who, are, who believe in supporting other women, empowering other women, as well as being the strength to other women when they are weak. And so we are all about having a candid conversation with other women about sisterhood, about leadership, about everyday life, uh, politics, wellness, all of that. That's what we're all about. And so thank you for joining us and thank you so much for being with us. If you have to leave us at any point during this live, I wanna encourage you to always, always go check us out, follow us. We are on several streaming platforms. Uh, I'll tell you a few, a, a few of them. We are on Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're on Go uh, Google Podcasts, as well as womenforprogressradio.com. And so you can always, always find us on those sites, um, those streaming sites. Um, you can always go to Facebook as well and check out Women for Progress page and watch too. So again, thank you for joining us. I, I am Teresa Kennedy, creator and host, and uh, we'll get right into it. So this is episode 18, and we're talking about change is good. Um, change is obviously going to happen whether you want to or not, and um our guest today is someone who made a change at some point uh, and continues to grow in her changing. And so our guest is Dr. Candace McClendon. Candace, welcome. Thank you. I'll tell you a little bit about Candace. Candace uh, is from Forest, Mississippi. We actually knew each other from college, but not really knew know each other. Um, but I, I knew of her. She always was a spiffy dresser, dresser, still is. I definitely think she's a fashionista. Um, so uh, I, that was one thing I noticed about her at Alcorn. She always seemed to be about her business. And obviously that's where that's always been the case about her because here she is still being about her business. Um, Candace graduated from Alcorn with a bachelor's in English literature. She went on to earn a master's degree from Kennesaw State in educational leadership. And from there, she earned a doctor's degree in educational leadership from Capella. So Candace is own it. And so today she is the founder CEO of Ed Accelerator Inc., which is a startup that provides innovative education solutions across multiple industries. So in the K-12 sector, Ed Accelerator is providing school districts with services that are designed to build capacity in their new teachers and new school leaders. Additionally, it is the home of Mississippi's first cannabis training and education school. In both sectors, Ed Accelerator's ultimate goal is to build capacity, empower, and develop future leaders of the state of Mississippi. Um, 
Candace is also the executive director of Ed Accelerator Foundation, Inc. It's a 501c3 that is creating in initiatives that reimagine the way teachers teach and the way students learn through educational and community-driven programs. And with the Mississippi Women in Cannabis Incorporated, this is a nonprofit dedicated to breaking the glass ceiling by bridging the diversity and equity gap amongst women in the can cannabis industry. Candace specializes in mentoring and teaching new, coaching new teachers, supporting educational leaders, assisting C-level leaders with engaging and retaining millennial talent, and developing aspiring women entrepreneurs. Candace, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I think you're my first Alcorn State <laughs> alum guest. I, I, hopefully that you will be last. So thank you. I think it's special. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. You are. You are. Well, primarily because you're fabulous, but two, because you're Alcorn State grad. I think, you know, anybody that knows me know I love Alcorn and they know <laughs> that I'm going to find a way to mention Alcorn. So I'm really delighted to have you join me um, as my first Alcorn alum guest. Um, so we'll get into it again, like I've shared, this is just a casual, uh, well, not a casual, but more of a candid conversation. So we'll talk about several things. Obviously, I want to get into how you started, what made you go into education, um, and then we'll transition over to uh, the cannabis industry. Obviously, that's a huge topic here in Mississippi with the recent passage of um, me uh, medical marijuana here. And so we'll talk a little bit about both. Uh, and so again, I, we'll start with education. So how did you get started in education? What was your motivator or inspiration to pursue that area? Um, so I was a English lit major. So obviously at that time I had my sights set on New York City and I was gonna, you know, be this editorial uh, at some fancy magazine. And my parents were like, you're crazy. Who's paying for that rent up there? And so actually I just said, you know what, I'll just go take the praxis, you know, because I was, you know, graduation was coming and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I said, well, you know what, I'll teach for a year to save some money to go to New York. So that was the plan. Obviously, um, I started teaching at Murrah High School in Jackson. And so needless to say, I really liked it. You know, um, I never made it to, to New York, to journalism school, um, but I taught two years at Murrah, really enjoyed it, really liked it. And so I said, well, you know, I had some cousins that lived in Atlanta and I wanted to get my master's. So I thought, you know, let me, you know, apply to some jobs out there. And so I got a job at Atlanta Public Schools at Booker T. Washington High School teaching seniors. Um, and I just felt like it was my calling because there I can say I met a lot of African-American women who really took me under their wing. I mean, these ladies was coming to schools and Benzes and BMWs. And I'm like, how are we doing this on a teacher's salary? And so that's when I was really introduced to entrepreneurship as far as like women supporting women, um, because I was still, you know, a third year teacher. So I was still fairly new to the industry, but I had a lot of women that, um, really took me under their wing and told me how to be successful in the education business and how to kind of widen my scope um, from outside of the classroom. Because in my mind, it was just teach for a little bit, then become a principal and, and that's what it's gonna be. And so I kind of got introduced to consulting and all of these amazing career opportunities that I wasn't necessarily um, familiar with. And I actually had um, another Alcorn State grad, um, Selena Young at the time was working with 
a company in Jackson because I was living in Atlanta and she said, well, it's a consulting company and you make really good money and I think you should look into it. And I was like, yeah, it got to be a catch. That's too much money. Like there's, it's a catch to it, but she brought me in. And so I started consulting in 2010 and have not stopped <laughs> since. Um, and so I've consulted in Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, pretty much everywhere in the South. Um, and what I found was a lot of new teachers were kind of dumped into the classroom and not necessarily given the proper support on how to be successful and even a pathway um, to get these leadership positions. So I created um, the New Teacher Institute, which was a company focused on training and providing career pathways to new teachers to show them how to use what they have to get to where they're trying to go. Um, and that extended to so many other things. Um, moved to Houston and did some things at KIPP 3D, um, was a Dean of Instruction there, and then actually um, got a huge opportunity in Hines County School District to offer um, teacher placement with uh, another company, Schoolhouse 21. And so it literally went from us having five employees to like 60 employees within two weeks. Um, so that company definitely like blew up overnight. Um, learned a lot of hard lessons as far as entrepreneurship with that particular company. Um, but, you know, I take it all as learning lessons. Um, and so no matter what sector I'm in, whether I'm in the classroom, or I'm doing leadership or entrepreneurship, um, I've always just had a foundation to kind of use education as a springboard. Even I know we're going to talk about it later with cannabis, but it's still training and education. So that's kind of some of the things I do talk to. Um, you know, some of the ladies that I mentor that are educators, we don't necessarily just have to be in K-12. We don't necessarily have to be in education to educate people. Right. You said a lot. Um, I want to go back to even your, your moment where you started out and you talked about not knowing what to major in. I think a lot of us find ourselves there. You look up, it's March and graduating in May. You're like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, and I, I, I wasn't even shocked to hear you say um, you really thought you were moving to New York to be this editorial, I mean, this editor to probably some magazine, I'm certain. Um, but, you know, God has a plan for us. And obviously, like I said, change is good and change can be terrifying. We know, uh, we know that, but it's something that's totally necessary. And uh, moving from there, you decided to go to Kennesaw State. I have to say, you definitely was like, on, on your grind in terms of not being committed to just Mississippi, although, because yeah. you weren't afraid to go here, go there. You know, you went from Georgia back here, then you went to Houston back here. Obviously, Mississippi is where you need to be. So don't leave us, okay? We need all the talent we can get. Uh, and, and, and even you carving out or seeing a need, you know, entrepreneurship is a lot about meeting a need. It, you know, starting any business is really about meeting a need. And you saw the need for uh, some type of process, some type of education, some type of structure needed for new teachers. I've heard that that's how it is. You literally are thrown right in and like, go teach. And even what you having to do student teaching seems like it could still be overwhelming because, you know, now it's the real deal. They really are leaning on you. Yeah. Uh, what has that experience been like uh, with having that interacting with new teachers? And then one, I get, yeah, let me ask you that first and then I'll get into my other question. So 
I love new teachers. Um, and, and I will say a lot of the new teachers in Mississippi, especially with COVID, right? And even before COVID, their alternate route, like I'm an alternate route. I wasn't an English education major. So I never got yeah. to teaching. Um, and so a lot of the um, teachers that we have in the classroom now are alternate routes. So they never, even though a lot of people say, well, student teaching didn't really prepare, but just imagine not having that at all. All. Um, and so school districts, they do give you some sort of training prior to starting, but most of it is more so compliance of like, this is the handbook, this is how many days you have, and this is what you do. And you really only have that week prior to, you know, kids starting for schooling. And, you know, it takes more than five days to kind of understand. And then, you know, just like we know it's application, you don't really know what you don't know until you're thrown in and you have 25 to 30 kids looking at you and you're like, yeah, what I learned at Alcorn with English is totally different with 10th grade English. You know, it's, it's, it's totally different um, standards and things that we have to teach. But I have a strong desire to work with new teachers because I always remember um, what that was like. I went into teaching at Murrah High School on an emergency license. I wasn't even fully certified because I was alternate route. So that second year, I'm trying to take practice to, you know, not knowing if I'm going to get a real certificate, if I'm going to have a job, am I going to get kicked out of my apartment because I don't have any money. Um, so I can understand the struggle. And even just sitting in the classroom thinking, I went to college all these years and I'm only making $30,000. Like I don't even have enough money to do what I'm trying to do. So I don't care where I go in life. I always remember my, my first year teaching check was 18, 21 and 15 cents. Like I always remember what it was like to walk in those shoes. And so I'm able to kind of relate to them on multiple levels. Like, okay, you you want to be here, but you know, there's some some things that we have to do to get you there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my mother taught school for 30, 36 years, 38 years. And she probably taught a little bit longer, you know. <laughs> no, right, right. <laughs> You know, so for her, obviously, and, and my mom wasn't, well, no, my mom was a home ec major. I don't know when they started the whole, you know, alternate route, I guess, because obviously that's a language teachers know. Um, but I've heard people talk about it because it's so many people that, that consider teaching as this stop through, you yeah. know, it's nothing to do until they decide what they really, really want to do. Yeah. Um, but then there are people who get in and don't leave, you know, because they know there's a huge need for what they're doing. And I have to commend all you all, all the educators, because I think, you know, that's a special calling from God <laughs> uh, to, to, to work in, in, in our schools, especially our public schools. Um, that is definitely something God gave, given, you know, and so I, I commend all you all for doing that job and, and sticking with it. Uh, but I guess from now, moving from that, obviously, you, again, I mentioned about starting a business, seeing the need. How, 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 I know you mentioned about Selena Young uh, mentioning to you about doing some consulting work and, and the money and you not believing it, but how, 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 I know it didn't happen just overnight that you changed your course of going from being in front of the classroom to now just being with students to being in front of a classroom with teachers and leaders, school leaders. What was that experience like going from here to there? Because I know obviously you had to have this, have this desire to want more and, and, and be more impactful. 
Yeah. Um, so when I started consulting, I was still really young in the educational space. So I was probably about 26 years old. And, you know, so as an education consultant, I'm going in as a teacher coach. And so I'm basically paired with a teacher and trying to build capacity in some way. Um, my very first contract, I had like a hundred and something days in Monroe, Louisiana. And I never forget because it was a horrible experience. Like <laughs> My first week, um, I met this principal and everything was great. You know, she was very nice. And then when I got home that night, um, my project manager called and said, well, Candace, we're going to have to move you to a different school. And I said, I haven't even started yet. We just kind of had the welcome meeting. What what happened? And she said, well, I just think the principal thinks you're too young and there's nothing you can offer her teachers. I mean, she has teachers that are 20, 30 years in the game and she's afraid that you'll walk in and they'll be like, what is she going to tell us? She's only, you know, a baby. So I definitely um, had to work on my confidence because even though I felt like I was a really good teacher. Obviously, I hadn't put in the years um, that some of the teachers had at that time. But now, looking back at it, it's not really about the years because we do know that there are some teachers who, you know, have been there for a very long time, but not necessarily able to change um, to the way the education is now. So I think whether you're five years, 10 years, two years into the game, you still have something that you can offer um, someone else like you know now I kind of go in it's like I'm learning from you you're learning from me um, it's not necessarily me coming into your classroom trying to take over and tell you what to do but obviously starting out very insecure um, just not really comfortable in the job um, so I had to work really really hard to make sure that I knew what I was talking about um, and that I was kind of fearless um, and that took that took a few years to kind of you know build that confidence within myself to feel like that I was worthy to be in that position, even though, you know, the company felt that I had something to offer. I think I had to do some work to realize that I did, you know, in fact, have something to offer those teachers. So it was definitely a struggle those first five years. Well, you know, you mentioned confidence, you mentioned fearlessness, you mentioned uh, one other attribute. And those are really things that make up being an entrepreneur. You know, you really have to stay motivated. You really have to be fearless. You really have to do it scared um, in entrepreneurship because it can be overwhelming, especially starting out. There's a lot of things that you have to do on your own. Um, and even for a lot of small business owners, they, they, they're three, four, five years in the game and still doing it on their own. Um, and so doing it scared, doing it you know, with confidence doesn't always be what, how it is. And, 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 you know, people obviously see sometimes more pe people see more in us than we see in ourselves. And so very interesting to hear you say that because, you know, you, you think of entrepreneurship and education level in that world, uh, you, you don't really think of consulting. You think more of someone selling them something like a actual something tangible, um, and so what do you see as the future of education in Mississippi? Because you mentioned about, you know, how things have changed, obviously, in this world, of, uh, in, in this pandemic, uh, a lot of parents had to move to virtual learning for their kids. And a lot of school districts had to do things a lot different than a 20, 30 year old vet um, remember it being done. Um, how do you see us moving in the future, because Mississippi is a state that obviously is in 
dire need for not only teachers, because there's a huge shortage of teachers here, we're in dire need of just advancing and making sure that the, the, the you, you said it earlier about a loss, education loss, learning uh, loss. Making yeah. certain that the learning loss is not, it doesn't grow any further than it has or widen any further than it has. How do you see what you do impact in the future of education here? I think um, the future, obviously, um, and as cliche as it sounds, is innovation. I think COVID kind of really blew the top off of how we need in the educational space need to be more flexible. You know, your Fortune 500, your corporations, they can pretty much maneuver. Um, and it's all about creativity and creating, you know, these companies that are fresh and innovative and doing things that nobody else does. Well, in education, we don't really do that. We want to do the same things we did in 1990, right? And that doesn't work. And especially because students were on computers and doing virtual learning for a year and a half or two years. And so now it's a really big struggle to have them sit back in the classrooms. I mean, think about it. Um, the kids that are in first grade, they're in first grade, but this is their real first year experience of being inside of a classroom. So, you know, teachers are really struggling with trying to get students renormed on what it means to be back in a classroom. And even your high school kids who are used to just, you know, they had two years of, even though they were doing virtual learning, it was very lax. And so they have to sit back in the classroom and kind of be renormed on the way we did things. And I think the future is let's think of a way to move forward. The pandemic happened. So we can't go back to the way that we did education before the pandemic because students and teachers are reconditioned to a new way. I have some teachers who are like, well, I taught really great at home. Why can't I, you know, teach at home? Like, why do I have to go back to a building? And students are like, why do I have to do five days a week? Why can't we just, you know, do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, that sort of thing. And you have some other high schools and different um, schools across the nation who are going to four day weeks and actually using the lessons that we learned during COVID to, to reimagine K-12 education. And so I would really like to see Mississippi you know, kind of stretch ourselves and kind of push ourselves to what some of the other school districts um, are doing, even just coming to the table to have it as a discussion. You know, our legislators love to look at other states and do what they're doing. It's kind of shocking um, that they hadn't already started looking at that um, because obviously the legislators have a huge impact in what a school day looks like, how many hours, how many days a district has to uh, have instructional learning and all of that. Um, and, and, and I think we still sit at the bottom of, of that list, right? And so seemed like we'd be open to a lot of different things, but. And we do, maybe we do have some school districts who are like JPS is opening a, a virtual school. So we do have some school districts who are like, yeah, this is not as scary as we thought it was going to be. Um, and so they're trying to frame what that looks like. Um, but as a state, as a whole, I feel like, you know, we need to be more open to um, change, you know. Absolutely. Well, I want to transition from talking about education in the K-12 sector to more of education on the cannabis side and hemp side. I learned hemp, you know, that's, that's I ain't learned it. I've heard the word before, but talking to someone today about cannabis, she was very adamant about using the word hemp. And I was like, okay, I was like, what's the difference? So um, educate us and even me on what 
what what what all i mean what's is cannabis marijuana is is it a, a str- i don't know i probably sound so so silly right now I <laughs> well i mean it's, yeah it well for those who are listening and aren't from you know haven't been plugged in obviously mississippi became the 37th um state to legalize medicinal um marijuana and so licensing opened up in june um, right for different type of licensing types um, and so you have in our state you can apply for a cultivation license which that's what most of us are really familiar with and that's growing um, marijuana and then we have processing which are more like extracts and like your um, oils and different things like that um, then we have testing testing which is labs um, we have disposal how we even um, because even, you know, you have to have some type of license to dispose of marijuana. Um, we have transportation because you have to have a license to transport it from one facility to the next facility or even to dispensaries. And then obviously we do have the retail, which is a dispensary license. Um, it's a lot of buzz. Um, you probably can't get on Facebook without seeing some type of article. Um, and so what I envision, because I've been interested in cannabis for a really long time, I actually had a work permit for the state of Oregon. Um, But, you know, Mississippi was kind of slow on what they were going to do. So we, you know, you had people who had to kind of travel outside of the state um, to do certain things. And so because I am an educational, you know, that's my foundation, I felt like that would be the most sensible (laughs) place to land. Um, And so Mississippi has um, put into their regulations that any person who desires to work in the cannabis industry and obtain a worker's permit. You have to have eight hours, um, eight continuing education hours to even get your worker's permit. And then to renew it, you gotta have five hours. So basically 13 hours within that year. And so that's where Mississippi Cannabis School was born. Um, just basically partnering with um, people from all over the United States who've been doing these things in different states. Um, they've come on um, to work with us on our steering committee and just kind of really hammering out what that looks like. Because even though I'm an education person, I'm not a master grower, right? I can't necessarily tell you all of the components to growing the best strand of marijuana, but I can tell you how to teach, you know? So I I kind of brought in people who are experts in whatever that area is. And so basically what we do is we sit down at the table and they bring in the content and we hammer out the best way to teach people how to do this. Because we don't want it where it's like a PowerPoint and you're coming in and somebody's talking to you for eight hours because you're gonna leave out and you won't remember anything. So I'm still taking some of the components from the K-12 um, you know, um, sector and kind of bringing it over to this new industry. Well, you know, obviously a lot of what you just said is about innovation and that is totally necessary in, in, the, in the market like this and being flexible too. And you mentioned that too earlier, uh, in, in this industry is something you have to be, because there's still so much, I think there's still to be learned. Um, there's so much, obviously a lot of there's, like you said, there's a huge buzz. You can't get on Facebook without seeing something about it, an article about it. Um, and then I read recently, a former governor is obviously he's gotten involved. He has a testing lab. Um, I talked to someone today who has an interest, talked to someone just last week who has interests. So it 
is a huge, it is a huge buzz going around. And, and then what I, I've learned today though, even hearing what you shared was the different areas. Cause I guess I'll, immediately I'm thinking dismissing area. I'm not thinking, and growing. I'm not thinking about the waste, the testing of it. Um, and I think there was one other area you mentioned. And, and to hear all of that, obviously there is gonna be need, there's gonna be a need for someone like you to provide the education to, to like you said, bridge that, bridge that diversity and the equity gap. And I wanna talk about the equity gap though, because when you think of even this type of work, you think mostly men. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And white, yeah, white men yeah. at that. Uh, I have a, my god brother actually is a grower uh, out in Oregon, um, has a farm there, um, him and his wife. And um, they do very well. They've been doing it for quite some time now, for some years now. Um, they've been doing quite well. So when he heard about Mississippi, he was like, hey, what's going on down there? And <laughs> I think a lot of attention is on Mississippi right now, right? Because um, this is fairly new for us. Like you said, with the 37th state, uh, everything really just got the rocking and rolling, at least what we know, what I know publicly, people like me, and you probably know way more how long this really been underway for some time now. But uh, we know it to really just start getting rock, rocking and rolling. But I did read the other day about the portal and, and the fees. Now, do you think that the fees are gonna, I, I, I figure that the fees are meant to weed out a lot of people because they seem pretty excessive. If excessive. Is that like the normal fees um, for different areas? I mean, for the different areas inside of that, is that comp comparable well, to other states or? It, it, it definitely varies, but I think one thing about Mississippi that I will say that's great, we, they did not put a cap on licenses. So, you know, like if you go to some other states, let's say the state may decide that, hey, we're on, only going to approve X amount of licenses for dispensaries. We only want so many dispensaries. Um, I think Mississippi tried to address the equity gap by not placing um, the cap on licensing, but it is very expensive expensive if you're say for instance you're trying to open a dispensary um you have like a forty thousand dollar licensing fee and, a le and you know you can't go to a traditional bank and get a loan for a cannabis business so you, you're looking for um investors and things like that and so i think when you're talking about um you know um the diversity gap and just that sort of thing you can get in on the the micro cultivation side. And that's for someone who has like a thousand square feet of growth space or canopy space as they like to call it. You maybe can get in for about, you know, $3,500, $4,000 depending on what tier. But I think um, people are really kind of disappointed if they wanted to open a medical dispensary, that licensing fee is like, you know, and then you have an annual be with that and you're having to pay both of those at the same time, um, not counting all of the hidden fees, you know, so you may see that fee schedule, but, you know, because of the regulations, you have to have your facility set up a certain way. You got to make mm -hmm. sure you have security and transportation and, you know, you got to be able to have capital to operate and pay these employees before you start turning over revenue and money. So it's a lot, it's really costly. Um, 
And so I always tell people, just really talk to people before you just kind of jump in because there's people who've done it before, right? They may not be in Mississippi, but there's definitely people um, who are willing to kind of coach you and, and tell you what that really looks like, you know, outside of what the regulations say. Absolutely. Now, do you see yourself transitioning out of the education side to maybe be in one of the others? Um, and I, I think that, that that's a question you don't want to answer right now. And that's fine. Uh, but if you feel obligated or want to share. Well, I, I don't think I will ever just totally leave education because I just I love it so much, you know, and I really get a buzz from both. I mean, obviously, the cannabis industry brings a whole different type of excitement that I haven't felt in a really long time. Um, and I did want to say something you you mentioned, like um, different areas that people can get into. And so um, I think a lot of people think that to get into the cannabis business, you have to have a plant touching um, position, right? Like you're having to grow marijuana or something like that, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, there's a lot of ancillary businesses, like if you're a cannabis attorney or you provide insurance or you provide marketing and branding and website design and logo design, there's so many things that this industry will still need, just like any other industry um, that you can kind of, you know, make your own without necessarily growing marijuana from, you know, seed to sale. Absolutely. I, I agree with you on that, because even when you talked about the transportation, the disposal of it, um, that that's so many areas where I don't necessarily need to grow it. I just need to be be able to provide this service to those maybe the grower or or to get from the B to the C. Uh, and so that's a huge need. And, you know, I know you're breaking the glass ceiling with this um, solely because I don't know. I imagine they're not, when you go walk in these rooms, there are not a lot of people that look like you in these rooms. Um, yeah, I've been in <laughs> several lately and I was the only person who looked like me. Yeah. Wow. Not shocking. And then, but when you visited other states, is the room, is there more of us in that room in other states? Well, I think it's diverse as a whole, right? So if you go to California, there's going to be so many different types of people. Um, okay. And it's, it's still going to be um, male dominated, right? Um, there are women who are doing amazing things um, in other states. And so you're seeing more of that because people are now talking about it. You know, with social media and people just sharing a wealth of information, now a person who was like very like, oh, I don't want to, you know, people to label me as a, a, a stoner because I'm doing something with marijuana and they see that there's other ways to get into it without, you know, necessarily having an intimate relationship with the plant itself and just the medicinal you know, um, just the medicinal qualities that it brings to people. I actually um, had a cousin who had um, liver cancer. She just actually passed away in January, but she would have to, you know, go to a whole nother state just to get this medicine that could um, help her with pain management. And so there's, there's kids and they're so elderly and there's so many people in the state of Mississippi who um, really need the medicine. I think, you know, our society has conditioned us to be about, oh, I'm just getting high. Um, you know, I'm a pothead and I'm a stoner, you know, and of course you have adult use in other states where it's recreational, but um, there's a lot of sick patients in the state of Mississippi who really need this, right? So um, I think the stigma that's associated with, with it is kind of going away because so many states are legalizing it now. Um, you know, 
maybe five years ago, it was kind of like, oh, you got to go out west to kind of do that kind of thing. But um, I think some of the stigma is fading because people are looking at it more from a medicinal standpoint. Absolutely. Um, I too know someone who in another state uses it in a, in a state where it's legal, um, uses it for pain management. And then even the commercials, um, reading, hearing some of the testimonials of people who 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 use it really just to manage pain you know it, it was kind of odd that it didn't pass the first time but then at the same time I know we're in a bible belt state um and the stigma like you said five years ago versus what it is today has changed uh overall and here we are um well I wish you the very best in that business I know it's one that obviously is going to continue to grow as more and more people are getting involved in this industry and, and, and all that it can bring to the state. Um, I also commend you for your work you do with K-12, as well as in helping to retain that millennial talent um, because we are in a huge brain drain here in Mississippi. And when you talk about that too, I think when you talk about brain drain, you also think about the loss of knowledge um, that young people and having that diversity whether in the classroom or over at the table talking about cannabis um, and medicinal marijuana as well, is something that's totally needed um, to, to, for our state to continue to thrive and really grow like these other areas and states around us are growing. Um, Candace, I thank you so much for taking time out to join us here at Dear Sister. And before we go, there is one last thing that um, we like to do. We like to share a mantra of some sort or some encouraging words um, to all the sisters that are watching. And we'll start with dear sister and then you, you, you go into your mantra. Um, I'll go first to give you a moment to get yours. Uh, just based off of what you said today, um, I'll say dear sister, be open to change. Okay. Now yours. So I will say, dear sister, give yourself the same grace you give others and never, ever be afraid to try a new thing. That's awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, you can listen to this podcast if there was something that you want to replay or you want to uh, go over again and, and learn more about. Uh, you can watch this podcast on the Women for Progress Facebook page, but you can also listen as I was saying, um, on our different streaming uh, sites, iTunes, Anchor, uh, uh, Breaker, and uh, Google Podcasts, uh, as well as Spotify. Uh, Candace, if people want to get in contact with you real quick, I forgot this part, I apologize. If people want to get in contact with you, how can they reach out to you? Um, my website is um, www.candacemcclendon.com. My email is hello at candacemcclendon.com. Um, you can find me on social just using my name. I'm a simple girl. So you can find me on Insta because I'm not really a Facebook girl. Um, Candace.McClendon. <laughs> thank you. Uh, y'all heard it here. And if y'all didn't get that, you can just always reach out to Dear Sister um, on Instagram and uh, send us an email. Let us know. And we'll, we'll get back with you. Thank you again for joining us. This is Dear Sister and I'm signing.